This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So last week we were whinging about sand, like and all these pressures I had, like all this, all, this, all this whinging where it felt like my life was just a list of people I was letting down. And I had in mind this idea that I was going to come and he'd be like, fuck sand, like let's go, let's go like believe in our dreams and all this sort of thing. And, um, you know, coming up to sort of Wednesday or Thursday, I was like, yeah, this is going to be good. Like forget about all this sand, like let's go, you're living your own life. And now I'm back in full sand mode. So I'm going to try to address one of the outstanding bits of sand in my to-do list and it's Spooko related and Shag you might remember and for anyone listening this isn't very helpful but if you're watching on Zoom you might remember we were sent a case of these reshes and um, what I decided I would do was to um, try to uh, chug one of them when I got it and so I did a bit of research and as you know I never do research for this podcast or no sorry more accurately about 10 minutes before we record, I freak the fuck out that I haven't done any prep. And then I basically just read bullshit disposable articles about like why people like horror films and what they unlock about our blah, 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 blah. And it's never useful. It never helps the podcast. So this time I researched whether it was more difficult to chug a can of beer, which I did very, very badly. And you can go to our Instagram and see the IGTV of me failing to chug a can of beer versus was it easier to chug a bottle of beer? Because you might remember like 21st birthdays, like I was medium accomplished. I was in the, you know, the, the peak of the bell curve for being able to drink beers. I could drink oh, beers okay. And it turns out that cans are harder to chug. And so I thought we might reenact um, the chugging element, but I've gone to the wiki how page of how do you chug a can of beer? And what you do is what I've just done, which is you... Uh, put a hole in the can. They call it a carburetor. And apparently it's literally what a carburetor does. It allows air to come in as liquid is leaving. So the beer should now more effectively go into me and efficiently go into me. And so with a bit of false bravado, oh, are you holding on the, like, am I half opening the can? And you've got a question? Shag, what's your question? Now, if you just, if you just pause for a moment. Now, I've been very quiet this whole intro. Number yeah. one, because as we've t- spoken about before, I never know how you're going to start these. And mm. so... Because I'm the one that edits these after we record these. Yeah. Half the time I'm thinking, am I going to cut this or am I going to keep this in <laughs> when you have an intro? <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to, like, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens, you know, when the episode comes out on Monday. Oh. But I, I guess I am very excited about where you've got to. I, like, putting this in legal terms or at least the terms I understand having watched a lot of legal shows, I'm mm. the judge being like, get to the point, Peach. <laughs> But now I'm kind of excited to see where you're going with this. So you are actually going, you've done some research like we do on this show where we're going to get you over your fear of horror movies. We're going to do it the right way. You've gone, okay, I didn't chug the beer the first time. You've done some research and now you're potentially going to chug this rashes that was sent to us thanks to Adele uh, on this show. 
I wouldn't dare chug another beer, Reshers. It's the only beer I'd consider like sculling. I don't know why I keep saying chugging because the wiki how language was all about chugging. I'd like, we didn't chug beers, we sculled beers. But anyway, we'll see how that works. But apparently, so sorry, just to complete the very interesting bit about the carburetor, which you weren't as interested in as I was hoping, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that because it allows air to go in, it allows the liquid to come out. Like that little hole at the top of a disposable coffee cup lid, yeah. it allows the air to come in and so your coffee can come out. So let's, oh, I'm all of a sudden getting super scared. Okay. <laughs> I uh, can't believe we've gone from Spooko to Chuggo in uh, a Scullo, very short Scullo. amount of time. Scullo, Scullo, sorry. Scullo. Oh, man. I'm actually like getting the scared nerves. All right, let's see. It said you should start with tilting your head back. And now because I'm looking into the Zoom camera, I've navigated away from the WikiHow page. All right, I'm going to take over as Peach does this. So it's gone right. to his lips. His, it looks like he's drinking it like normal. Uh, kind of like how, you know, Golden Child drinks water. Like, you can just see the mechanisms of the neck working as the beer's going down. Peach, did that work? Have you done? Are you done? Uh, it's so are cold. Are you done? Oh. <laughs> oh, man, it's cold. Yeah, it's done. Oh, there's like a like bubbly sip in there. Like, so it all like foamed and fothed up. Huh. Mm. It's all just foam left in there. So it was done, but... It like over frothed up. Maybe because we opened the carburetor early and allowed air in for it to foam and froth. Well, I don't know. So we did it. Resh has better send me some more so I can send out some more hot content like that. Obviously, Peach, you mm. turned this podcast into a vehicle for you to be sponsored by Resh's early on. Mm. And thanks to Adele and the team at Resh's, you were able to fulfill that dream by actually yeah. doing nothing and letting everybody else do the work, which is awesome. I, but I, I push back against the doing nothing. But anyway, continue. But one of the things I should point out is the fact that this show wouldn't exist without FBI Radio, an amazing community station in Sydney mm. that... Honest to God, punches above its weight. It has a very small staff. It has an army of volunteers. And its cultural footprint, not just in Sydney, but in the world, is immense. So right now they're running a supporter drive. They do that every, you know, every couple of months because mm. as a community radio station, it's a, it's a different system in Australia than it is outside. Like Australia has a very interesting system of these community radio stations that are allowed to basically broadcast on radio but have to be, you know, find other ways to get funded. And in FBI's case, 50% of that funding comes from people just supporting the station, which I think is absolutely amazing. So if you're a fan of Spooko or if you're a fan of culture in Sydney in general, do consider heading to fbiradio.com and uh, supporting in any way you can. But in the spirit of that, in the spirit of that uh, very fitting ad for FBI, we are joined by a guest from FBI. Uh, yes. She's one of our very good friends, but she's also one of FBI's longest running presenters. But you know what? Like her show on FBI is only a small facet of the amazing things she does in her career as a slashy. She is one of Sydney's food tastemakers like yes. and there are so many ways her food tastemaking touches Sydney I think one of the funniest things is a couple of years ago she started calling things whip smart and then all of a sudden every single food writer would call the restaurant or a like a food writer they'd be like oh this is a really whip smart menu and he'd be like I that came you readily trend and that came uh, she's a food podcaster she's a food journalist she's currently spearheading a I guess a movement to stop food writing in Australia being so white and actually recognize the 
fact that a lot of our great food doesn't come from like white chefs and we should acknowledge that with writers that don't come from a white experience it's like her her imprint on sydney is massive um so it's such an honor to be joined by lee tran lamb on spooko lee tran welcome to spooko so great to have you lt well thank you so much that was an incredible intro. I feel like it was way too generous. And actually, credit to Liz Fair for the use of the word whip smart, really. <laughs> well, true, true, true. But, you know, like, I wouldn't thank us too quickly because immediately I'm going to put you on the spot. And this isn't gotcha journalism. I'm not, like, picking up something you said Whoa. and being like, but I do want to talk about in episode 10... This we is a pretty com- whip-smart line of, line of questioning <laughs> from you, Shaq. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> but in episode 10, we covered the film Us. Now, when I initially saw the film Us in theatres, I was sitting next to you. And in the, in, the, in the episode of our podcast, I talked about how I was sitting next to an unnamed person who could not stay quiet during the entire film in fact laughed the whole way through <laughs> and even at the time i wrote because watching this i saw this film pre-spooko and even at the time i remember thinking this is a side of lee tram tran i've never seen but after going through this this podcast recognizing that your laughter through that film was your way of dealing with an intensely scary film would you agree with that No, you're totally spot on because I'm more like Peach in that I can't really handle scary movies like Buffy or maybe even Game of Thrones is as like scary as I can handle. (laughs) And I've only watched probably, what, three, four now that we count the host, which is, am I like giving it away? Is this a spoiler? I guess it's the name of the episode, so it's not a spoiler to say the host would be like the fourth horror film I've seen and I trace it back to when I was seven and this is like such a lapse of babysitting I remember being at my grandmother's house surrounded by all these aunties and yeah I was seven years old and they're watching Nightmare on Elm Street and I was like losing my mind with fear and no one at all thought maybe a seven-year-old kid should not be watching this and because of that I had like nightmares for ages and I think the scene I saw was with um now probably slightly problematic actor uh Johnny Depp uh in one of his (laughs) earliest roles where I think he lies down on a bed and he's listening to a Walkman and then he gets swallowed by the bed and basically, I guess, murdered or eviscerated. And I could never lie in a bed and listen to a Walkman after that because I had this like really, uh, yeah, really crazy thought that I would then be eaten up by some bed monster <laughs> if I carried out that act as well. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's so true. I think I think it doesn't even have to be a whole film that scars you. It's, mm. it's a moment from a yes. horror film that can scar you. So, Lee Tran, look, well, look, uh, being another peach, I'm super glad. <laughs> I'm doubly glad for you to be, on the sh- to be on the show because this is all about exposure therapy to help you deal with your fear. If there's one yes. thing the world needs, it's more of me. Yeah, man. <laughs> Well, I have to say I'm like maybe like a fraction less scared of horror movies than you are, Peach. Because I actually don't think um, Get Out is that scary. And I really think you should watch it because it's so good. But can you chug beers, Leitran? That's the question. Oh, 
when I watched it, someone had smuggled in like all these glass bottles and we could hear them throwing them on the floor dr during the movie. And we were kind of amazed by it. It sounded like 12 bottles hitting the floor during what, a two hour movie? That's, that's a lot of alcohol in a short amount of time. I feel like you should have told them to get out. Oh, <laughs> that, actually, that's pretty good. That's boom tish. I'm there, I'm there. But yeah. also, yeah, like get out is not scary in the way that us is. Can you remember, because I, I was sitting next to you and you were like, like and I have never seen you like this. This is, <laughs> yeah, I, I could right. tell you were having a genuinely like visceral response to the film. Can you remember what it felt like when you were watching like, you know, the, the especially intense scenes? Like, for example, when the dad goes outside and the family's waiting there Duh. to, you know, to, to come to basically sneak their way into the house. Do you remember what that felt like? Yeah, I was really grateful to the composer because I could tell by the score anytime anything intense was about to happen. So I think I watched maybe like 40% of that movie while staring at the ceiling of the Hoyt cinema we were in because I just could not look on screen. But I could tell by everyone else's faces. Yeah, and just like the really, you know, epic tone the music was getting. I was like, oh, this is a good time to look away because someone's probably... <laughs> yeah, someone's probably about to be murdered in the most vicious way. Is the score the contemporary sort of Hans Zimmer inflected string sort of score? Like, scrickety, it's all getting a bit scrickety, 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 sort of scratchy strings? You could tell. It just starts to get more, like, ominous. And I should look up the name of the composer, but... The guy who does the music for uh, Jordan Peele's films, uh, there's actually a really great story about how Jordan Peele wanted to hire a black composer, but he didn't know any and just kind of spread the word. And I think he found a guy who was like on YouTube and had not had any film experience before. And I, yeah, I should look up his name. But this guy also says that he can't really handle scary movies, which I think is pretty amazing given that he's like scored the last two <laughs> the last two Jordan Peele movies and I think Us is actually way more scarier than than Get Out is like I think Peach could handle oh. Peach could definitely handle Get Out but Us requires yeah, a lot of ceiling staring if you yeah want to get through it yeah I think his name is Michael Abels that's a composer for Jordan Peele but yeah it's interesting that he he can't really handle horror movies either and yet he really adds to the intensity of those movies and I guess does a little community service by letting the scaredy cats like me know when something's gonna get really hellish on screen the added value of having Lee Tran Lam on a podcast like ours is the research, without her even doing any research, goes up like a million percent. It's so good. But, 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 okay. I'm really excited because there are so many links today. Now, you're right. Like, part of me is like, oh, don't spoil the surprise. But then I'm like, no, I named the episode after the film we're doing. Of course, you know. But, of course, we are doing the host today. Uh, and in, in the same way that... Uh, Lee Tran is the new Peach. I think that... <laughs> Fucking hell. Didn't I just get Bong... a Russia sponsorship over here? Like, I'm still <laughs> pulling my weight. Like, I'm trying. 
No, no, no. But, but, but in the same way, I think everything works together because today's film is a 2006 film by Bong Joon-ho, uh, who most recently won like a million Oscars for Parasite. Uh, it's a film called The Host. And in many ways, Bong Joon-ho is the new Jordan Peele or the old Jordan. Like, they're, they're similar directors in, in their intent to use genre, you know, films to have a message. Um, so I'm really exa- like so usually I do a build up and then we do a thing and I'm like today we're doing this and but I'm just going to do it anyway and basically Lee Tran like Peach will have some sort of reaction you do a reaction too so I'm going to be like today we're doing X and you go what super cool or like uh, oh or like what's up or something yeah, right for sure pizza show or like what like what's, what's happening <laughs> like, I feel like you lost you <laughs> I think things are going really well <laughs> and so often like you're like yeah let's let Paige go home we'll catch it in like, we'll catch it in the end and after and I was like Shag you can do it buddy keep going <laughs> today we're doing the host oh. what oh, I can't shit. believe it's the host, host totally the caught off guard Mr. Kim formaldehyde dirty formaldehyde pour him into the sink Your daughter's still alive. Why didn't you contact the police or the military? A human rights organization, something. Like, I, like, man, like, what is up, the host? I'm not shook at all. This is a monster (laughs) movie. Let's go find out how unshook I am. (laughs) I think that's such, in a way, a misleading trailer because it has none of the social commentary of the film the film is actually quite funny that i understand why that trailer leans so heavily on the horror movie tropes and also it means they don't have to translate any of the dialogue because you're just seeing people running away from a monster people being snatched by a monster but if you actually you could totally watch this movie peach like that's all those scary things are diluted by, like, klutzy humour, social commentary about, you know, um, American politics and Korean politics and class systems, but also done in a very palatable way. It doesn't feel like a uni lecture or, or anything like that. That said, though, I, you know, I, I saw this after Parasite. In fact, I only probably watched it um, a couple of days ago with Adele. And because of that, I spent the whole time being like, I can't wait to find out what the monster represents. Oh, my God. Okay, here's what the allegory is. But in, at the end of the day, this is very much a monster film. But I would say, don't get too cocky too quick, Peach, because there, there are quite a few scenes in this film. Because, yes, absolutely, parts of the film is funny, but it's not a comedy. He, the way Bong Joon-ho works, I find, is generally, instead of putting everything together at once... There'll be comedic scenes, then there'll be a melodramatic scene, then there'll be like a really fucking spooky shot, then there'll be like a full-on sort of, you know, like crescendo. Like, it's, he just swerves from genre to genre. And there are moments of the, in this film that are absolutely spooko. But I think one of the coolest quotes I read about this that makes sense to me is that 
the way he describes the politics he wants people to get out of his films, it's like, I just want you to enjoy the monster movie, but then at night when you go to bed, in like for a few seconds, I want you to maybe think about what I was trying to say. Which I fucking love. I love the fact that it's like, no, 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 I just want you to enjoy the movie, and then maybe a bit later, I want like one or two points to linger in your head. And this film, like as you'll see, this film definitely has things to say about Korea's reliance on the US, which I didn't understand was a thing, but apparently is a thing. According to this film, which I now yeah. know. <laughs> Did you think about that before going to bed for a few seconds? <laughs> you know what? Because of that quote, I actually did. And last <laughs> night, again, I was thinking about it again because of that quote. Fucking whip smart stuff. It's good. The other thing I do want to say, people do make a big point about how, oh, it's a companion piece to Parasite because it's called The Host and it's called Parasite. But in fact, the Korean name of this film is actually closer to Monster. And so just calling it The Host is like serendipity. Like, the, the fact that it's called The Host and then, you know, 13, 14 years later, he creates a film called Parasite. Uh, it's just like a trip. Like, so, you know, like I work in marketing and for the once in my life, I'm like, well, marketing did something cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we finally got a run on the board. <laughs> Good for marketing. But yes, The Host from 2006 by Bong Joon-ho. Um, another reason I'm super glad to have you on this particular episode, Lee Chan, is that... It seems to focus a lot on food as well. Food comes up a lot. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that. Um, And I don't know if we're going to bring this up when you give out the synopsis. But yeah, from the beginning, uh, the main character who is played by also the main actor from Parasite, who often works with uh, Bong Joon-ho, which is Sang Kang-ho. He's also in every, like, if you've seen a good or cult Korean movie in the last, like, 20 years, Song Kang-ho was definitely in it. Yeah, so he plays um, someone who runs, like, a kind of kiosk by the Han River, and you see... So the Han River, I think, is is the main river of Seoul. Yeah. Or maybe actually, the main river of Korea, I don't know. Uh, I think it's one of four rivers in uh Korea, South Korea, but um, actually Bong Joon-ho said he used to live near the Han River and when he was younger, he liked to daydream as he watched the river and because he was a great fan of things like the Loch Ness Monster, so when he was looking out at the Han River one day, he thought um, how cool it would, would it be if one day this monster emerged out of the Han River um, and, you know, how would ordinary soul citizens react and then i guess when you get into the synopsis we can actually talk about the the catalyst that actually starts the whole film i mean i mean like consider that consider that amazing like inspiration for a film compared to the guy who wrote directed filmed and edited paranormal activity who was like i moved into a new house and i heard things creak at night and i thought isn't that a scary (laughs) premise for a film and it's just like fuck you dude anyway 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 all right well let's start let's start because i think this is this is a great episode for the three of us to be covering and peach this is a film you could totally watch but at the same time there are moments in it where even because i was not expecting to be spooked and there were moments in it where i definitely had that roller coaster going down the first dip feeling in my in my stomach so it starts in 2000 and it starts you know the first voice you hear in this film is an american voice and plot twist americans don't come off that well in this film just putting that out there 
Um, so an American military pathologist orders his Korean assistant to dump 200 bottles of formaldehyde down the drain leading into the Han River. So from what I understand, there's still American military bases in Korea, or at least there were at the time. Um, and so it's not that strange to have like an American military base doing crazy stuff. Now his assistant's Korean and he's like, uh, these chemicals are pretty bad. I don't think we should be pouring them into the Han River. And the like the scientist is like basically like, oh, you idiot. Like the Han River is huge. <laughs> so have a huge understanding of science and know that we can pour these bottles down. It'll get diluted. <laughs> I'm a scientist. <laughs> so that's the start. And then the next scene, you know, to show that this has had an effect on the Han River. We have two fishermen like fishing, like wading into the water, like fishing. And then they see a fish, like, well, a weird fish go past. And they're like, wow, the mutations are getting weirder. So clearly, and when I watched this, I was like, that's, that's a weird thing for people to say and for people to just accept. But anyway. Uh, I, I love it. It's like the mutations are getting weirder. Better keep eating the fish from this river. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> And do you know hell. the um, toxic dumping is based on something that happened for real in the year 2000 and it was done by... Oh, I have um, no idea. Tell, yeah, tell us, tell an, us, tell and us. And it was a, an American morgue, I think, technician who did dump all those chemicals into the river. So this, again, there's a, a social element, uh, a social critique element, one of many social critique elements in this I movie. Mean, I, I mean, Parasite was like a social critique. That's just being like, this happened and it sucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it's like, Boom, don't America. dump chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dump chemicals down into the Han River is the critique, I think, of, of that particular bit. Um, but, okay, so, th so the film proper starts in 2006. And like Lee Tran said, so Song Kang-ho is playing like a slow-witted young man named Park Gung-do. And he has bleached orange hair and his whole thing, like he has like an... Like the, the one thing that... I. That, that is not my favourite is when people are like, he's got a plot-reliant character flaw and that is that he loves to fall asleep all the time. He oh. just... He just loves falling asleep. narcolepsy. <laughs> <laughs> he's also quite a klutz as well, which unfortunately leads to uh, some devastating consequences later in the film. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now he 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 his dad basically runs this food stand and it's more than just a kiosk. They seem to cook food. And one of the things they cook, and again, Lee Chan, I'd love to ask you about this, because this is something I don't think I've really like maybe I've seen before but never really understood. They they they're cooking dried squid for people. They, it looks like they barbecue a flattened dry squid. And when they talk about it, they say the dried squid has to have 10 legs when you deliver it to customers because the legs are the nicest part. Is this something you're aware of, this kind of, this this dried barbecue dried squid? Well, watching that bit, um, I remember like my parents would eat like dried, things like dried cuttlefish. So I suddenly had a flashback to that. But um, my parents aren't Korean, but they are Asian. And I think it must be like an Asian, um, uh, I guess, snack. 
But I did not know about the ten legs. And like while I was watching this movie, I did Google, and it did say that most of the time squid do have ten legs because then, um, yeah, the main character gets in trouble with his dad because apparently he serves some dried squid that has less than ten legs, and the customers are not very happy about that. Yeah. So, so, so they set him up to be a bit of a klutz and also just a bit of a fuck up because as he's barbecuing this thing for some customers, he breaks off one of the legs and eats it himself, which is not a cool thing to do. Well, deliberately um, breaks it off. Yeah. As, as just a bit like, I don't care. Like this, you know, like life mean, you know, I'm just oh, a bit man. of a fuck up. Like dad will look after me, whatever. <clears throat> But, 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 so he actually has a daughter who he's waiting to come home from school that he loves. But even the daughter who's like in year seven, she's kind of like 13 mm. and she thinks the dad's a fuck. She thinks her dad's a fuck up too, but he's like endlessly trying to impress her, which would be just the most depressing relationship to have with your oh child. Oh my God. There's also like that kind of bittersweet moment where he says something like, oh, why don't you use the mobile phone that I gave you? And she was like, this mobile phone is so uncool. And But then that mobile phone later plays a critical role in the movie. Yes. Yes, that's a really good point. Um, and hopefully it will come up in Wikipedia, which sometimes critical points get missed <laughs> or get tossed by the wayside. But, okay, so, so there's other members of this family. So, so uh, gang, uh, Park Gung-Doo has two siblings, one of which is Nam Ju, who is a national archer. Like, uh, I was about to be archerist, but I could just say she's a national archer. And so that afternoon, when her, when his daughter comes to the stall, they go inside to watch her on TV. And again, I was like, oh my God, this is clearly Chekhov's archery. Like, who the fuck would watch archery on TV? But then I looked it up. Apparently, South Korea are amazing at archery. Oh, and wow. win the majority of medals around the world so it's kind of like you know how in australia or at least for a time when we were good at it like swimming would be prime time watching even though swimming and i'm sorry to swimmers is the most boring sport in the world like <laughs> you literally start you dive in the pool i can't like if there's strategy involved who the fuck knows like i don't know like what's happening i'm guessing you swim as fast as you can you do a number of laps eventually you get to the end and maybe you beat a world record maybe you don't and it's but the only reason it's prime time watching is because we were good at it. So I understand why archery would be prime time watching in Korea. And also, and and they also bring up at this point that there's also a, a brother slash uncle who's an alcoholic college graduate and former political activist. Um, and there and there are lots of jokes about like oh, just another drunk like college student. We don't have enough of them. Oh, oh, oh. So. There's also that like, like fuck uni sort of vibe. Yeah, as well. but those two roles later play like a critical part in the uh, movie. Like, uh, no shade to Bong Joon Ho, but his movies are like not unobvious. <laughs> like he's like, this yeah. is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the moment that she was on screen, um, the sister who's an archery champion, you're like, we know there's gonna be a scene at the end of the movie where she has a critical shot to pull off. Oh and yeah, 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 because because when because when she's on, when she's on on the screen they're like, "Oh, her trademark trepidation means she's waited too long and she's missed the shot." And they're like, "Oh, <laughs> that trademark hesitancy that Nam Ju has." <laughs> oh, those crazy characters. It's so typical of her. Anyway, so so our lead character Park Gung-do goes 
uh, goes back to the table where he was originally delivering the barbecued squid because it, it went there with nine legs and they complained. So he's bringing like some beers and an extra squid to say sorry, f- delivered from his dad, the grandpa. But as he's going out there, everybody on the banks of the Han River, and it's a bit of a like, it, it's like a Saturday vibe. Like everyone's there having picnics and stuff, like mm. pre COVID time. So everybody is actually <laughs> gathering and it's, and it's amazing. The distant and past. They, Basically, yeah, and they notice something like a bystanders. So not the family, but bystanders notice something hanging from one of the bridges. And I guess it kind of looks like a chrysalis or a cocoon or something. But eventually, while they're watching, this thing unfurls. And like, even though it's 2006 and the effects are pretty dodgy, it unfurls in the coolest way and quite a spook away and just like drops into the water and everybody's like oh my god what was that what was and it's cool because it's not like nobody sees it and this thing's gonna creep up on you it's like no everybody saw it and you know to that point that lee tran said about the inspiration it's like how would people react and obviously people just react by staring and then it sort of emerges in front of people right like it's still in the water but in front so everybody just starts throwing their food at it and starts throwing their... Their beer and their snacks. And again, it's probably a point from Bong Joon-ho being like, shouldn't throw shit in the water, guys. It's not a good thing to do. But then there's this amazing scene that genuinely is like super spooko where we cut to our main character and while everybody's sort of like turned around to be like, that was weird, let's go back, he's just staring down the banks of the river and you know something's coming. But Bong Joon-ho just like like holds off, like holds off from cutting to the last moment. And then he cuts to what our main character's seeing. And this monster is just running towards, and there's just people there. Like there's, there's heaps of people there. And this monster just in the foreground is just running full pelt towards the screen. And it's genuinely unsettling because it's like, what the fuck would you do? Because what I love about this scene is that it goes, it doesn't matter if you're in a crowd, you're not safe. Just being around like thousands of people doesn't make you safe from this giant monster. And then this monster causes like havoc. It, it doesn't seem to be like really necessarily trying to attack people until it gets trapped in this. Is it even amphibious? Like what's it doing on the land? Like well, what it's, the it's fuck? Kind of, it's, what it's the both, fuck right? is going on in this fucking movie? <laughs> Like, well, it's just a, it's just a scary monster that can swim, but also gets on yeah, land. But, uh, this sort of reminds me of the like uh, pollution ex machina in the um, American Godzilla in nineteen ninety seven, where like Matthew Broderick is studying these worms, and he's like, "Man, these worms are thirteen percent bigger." And there's like a military consultant who's like, mm, "You think thirteen percent is six percent?" <laughs> Fucking look out. <laughs> We're about to talk to Godzilla. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, pollution makes monsters. It's like, I, I, yeah, okay. Look, I mean, like we said, it's like, you know, he, his, his, his uh, allegories are blunt, but they're effective. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, how there's certain tropes in movies, like whenever there's a hacker on screen, they just like randomly tap keys and magical stuff happens. <laughs> and you just have to be like, oh, somehow they know everything. Whenever Classic. there's a monster, you can't really interrogate like the, whether their biological systems are coherent or not and whether they should be able to like run on land. You're just like, it's a random monster and it's going to wreak havoc. It's the willing suspension of disbelief. Yes, okay. 
It also has a mouth that like splits in four, and I know it's it's quite a fashionable thing Strange to have things, scary yeah. mouths because it's like the less human and the more like. I guess like alien it is it becomes like a bit spooky because it's got like but then it, like it has heaps of teeth and stuff in there but I'm also kind of like how did that how did how did like evolution decide a mouth that splits in four that's gonna <laughs> it's gonna come in handy bones. like bones just get in the way <laughs> we just need fleshy bits to... <laughs> it's just that random toxic formaldehyde that gave it some cool mutation yeah. <laughs> I have to say I really enjoyed the humour in the scenes that happen around now and I just want to backtrack the, there's a moment before the full havoc happens where you know something scary is about to happen and then suddenly you hear all this screaming but it's actually the screaming of the family watching the archery match and they're like super psyched uh, and then there's a, awesome. yes. yeah there's like lots of cool moments like that in this movie and then there's another moment where the the monster is wreaking havoc and then I think he runs between these like two trailers or something and then you see just like I think maybe like an outline of his tail and there's an American who's trying to attack him as well and I think maybe you see like the top of the sign and it's these kind of like there are a lot of visual slapstick moments in this movie that I think take away from it just being like a full-on you know, biting your fingernails kind of uh, experience. I, I didn't find it that scary just because the CG has not dated that well. So I, yeah. I wasn't like, this monster's going to come and like smash my door down and eat me alive. I was like, yeah, that was a budget they had and it wasn't huge. And that's, you know, they did some cool stuff with it. Like with the gymnastics of the monster is really cool. Like when he does backflips or... When he knocks people out with his tail, it's really, um, really cool looking. But there are times where you're like, oh, yeah, I guess they had to save a bit of money in this scene because it's not that <laughs> realistic looking. This is reminiscent what, of the tradition of, you know, the 60s monster films that just had a shadow moving across of like, oh, <laughs> shit, guys. <laughs> or the Doctor Who <laughs> carpet monsters. making that shadow. <laughs> so look, so look... Uh, Lots of things like it it wreaks havoc, uh, but eventually there comes a moment where Gungdu grabs the daughter, Hyunseo, because she hasn't been paying attention because she's been watching this archery match. And so he just grabs her by the hand and he's like, come on, we've got to go. And he's running with the whole crowd. But then there's a moment because he's such a fuck up because we've established he's a fuck up. He turns back and realizes he hasn't actually got her hand. He's just got some random schoolgirl's hand. And then we see the monster grab Hyunso by the tail and then leap into the Han River and disappear. And he's just like, like, and he just goes, he is just distraught. And this is a moment I think that snaps him out of his, like his, his stupor where he's like, Oh my God, my daughter's like, I, I, I clearly love my daughter. And now I'm the dad, like I need to save her, but I don't know what to do. Anyway, we cut to later and there's like a mass funeral for all the people who died on the on the shore but while they're there while they're at this like hall where there's photos of all these people who've died the american military arrive and there's also a slapstick moment where like a scary guy walks in with one of those hazmat suits but then he trips on something (laughs) that's right like so it just ruins the gravity of his moment but then he gets up and basically explains that uh it looks like that everybody who's been in contact with the creature has to go into quarantine including gungdu and his family because it's announced that the creature is the host of a deadly unknown virus. They say it's like the 
like the um they compare it to SARS, which happened just before this movie yeah, came like out. 2003, 2004. Yeah. I'm so I'm I'm so sorry guys. Can we pause? My fucking building's having a fucking fire drill. Yeah. It's just a fire drill. Can we reconnect in like fifteen yeah. minutes? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, cool. I'll be back I'll in go get a drink and a snack. So guys, I'm 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 so sorry about mm, that. That's okay. uh, Lee Tran, you might not know. We've just had like I don't know, just weird. Like we just seem to be unlucky yeah. or something. Weird things just keep uh. happening on this podcast. Somehow a like some sort of an alarm just went off. I had to go outside. Now I'm stuck outside. Hopefully nothing else bad happens. You know, today or in the rest of the podcast. But just. It, it's like we're haunted. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, we're, whatever. We're cursed we're, by a ghost. <laughs> we are, Did you yeah, pour some low. formaldehyde like, down your office drain or something? I, clearly somebody poured formaldehyde in the office drain. Well, like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? How did we get here? Oh, well, yeah, we were just talking... I, when we just no, did Peach. the funeral... What are we doing? Peach, it's been like 15 <laughs> minutes. I had to go outside. You left the screen. Oh, look. Let's oh, not. For fuck's sake. Peach, like fucking hell. Like, I'm so, like, these jokes of yours, they don't, they don't make any sense. Let's just, let's just move on. Okay. So we find out that basically they were at that mass funeral. The Americans come in all in hazmat suits and it turns out there was a... Uh, it turns out that they're all under quarantine because the creature is the host of a deadly unknown virus. Sick. Timely. Yeah. And the American the American who fought the monster has all these, like, gross lesions on his back and is, I guess, infected with the virus. That's what we're told. Is he trying to hide them? Is he like, don't look at my back, you guys. I'm fine. No, nah, there's a really gross <laughs> close-up on the news of his uh, gross lesions. Blech. Sick. So so anyway, while they're in this hospital quarantine, Gung Du re- receives a phone call from Hyun So, she, which is his daughter, right? And she explains that she's trapped in the sewers with the creature, but then her phone stops working. And that's all the message gets across. And then Gung Du, it's one of those annoying situations where he's trying to explain... Because he's distraught, he's trying to explain to the authorities that the daughter's still alive. But he's like, she's dead, but she's also alive. And they're like, oh, classic crazy talk. Instead of just being like, hey, I understand that you think she's dead. He keeps being like, yes, I know she's dead, but she's alive. And yeah. I do like that this movie comes to grips with why didn't they just use their mobile phone? Like, I think it takes some courage to be like, here's why, okay? They had a phone, this is how they used it, now they don't have the phone. And that, you know, like, good on them. So they decide to pay... Now, excuse me, because I am now outside because of whatever that was. Uh, they, whatever they what just ex- Peach, whatever... Anyway, excuse the trucks going past. So they, they pay for these, like... It, it's very uh, Deus Ex escape team who somehow the dad gets in contact with and there are businesses getting people to escape from quarantine or something. <laughs> so, so basically they, they escape the hospital. These people are there with a truck and they take them to an undisclosed location where they 
pay them some money and then these people give them a quarantine truck so they can go out into the world that's now under out into seoul that's now under quarantine and you know basically because they're fugitives now but they can yeah, pass th- in disguise. Yeah, I think they're pretending to be cleaners, right? So that that's why they're all like um, in protective gear, and that's how they can kind of blend in. Yeah, but but it is important to note that they never explain how they contact this escape artist incorporated <laughs> or whatever they're called. <laughs> Are they rich? Anyway, the dad. Oh, anyway, sorry, I should I shouldn't get this. Oh no, there's this like really heartbreaking scene where they get asked for so much money, and the dad clearly can't afford it, and has to sacrifice something um yeah it's clearly beyond his means and it's actually so sad when he he tries to negotiate that it's not even funny sad it's like sad sad and they build up all through the film that the dad does a lot of sacrificing for the family especially for the fuck up son anyway so meanwhile two homeless boys sajin and saju are wandering along the the empty banks of the Han River that's now empty because it's now under quarantine and they're going to rob the 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 different convenience stores and they talk about it apparently there is this uh there's this concept in Korean culture and it used to be like you know from from like agricultural I guess feudal times you know when there were farms where you know poor kids were allowed to steal from farms as long as it didn't upset like the the yield so you know you could poor kids could go in and steal a couple of things you know as long as they weren't stealing heaps to go sell uh and that was cool and they explained that they're doing the same thing because they're not stealing money they're just stealing a few snacks here and there to live which i think which i thought was like a really cool thing like it was just like a nice window into like uh like an old korean custom i'd never heard and just feels like something we should have now especially now that we can't afford to pay our own fruit yeah and I think a lot of the film you have moments where there's a reflection on like how people are just surviving or they're doing things not because they want to but because they need the money. I used to steal from a rosemary bush near our house where we lived together on Egan Street and I sort of treated that very much as like, well, you're growing some rosemary and I'm just going to take some. That's, <laughs> I, like, I, you know, I'm, I am not someone who steals, but 100%, if you grow rosemary and it's in your front garden, that belongs to everybody. I do not care if it was like, it, it, in fact, any herbs that are growing in your front garden a fair game. Like, uh, that is just the way the world works. I think only rosemary and mint, because they're the only ones that grow like a weed and that are sort of easy to regrow. I'd feel pretty guilty making a mess <laughs> of someone's basil, unless it was that <laughs> late February, like, hyper basil <laughs> moment. I'd be like, no, no, it's all right. I'll just take your rosemary. I'll take your, take your mint and I'll be out of here. It's lucky that basil and rosemary don't go well together. Oh, it's lucky that you never agree. need to get those two things together. Whereas rosemary and mint, you marinate your lamb in the rosemary... And you make a mint sauce afterwards. Now, meanwhile, oh my God, that's amazing. Meanwhile, so Sajin and Saju uh, uh, are on this, like, are on the banks of the Han River. They're stealing stuff. They get attacked and basically swallowed by the creature. Creature goes back to its hideout. So it turns out the creature has a hideout in the sewers that's surrounded by bodies. And at first, we're like, are they alive? Because we see Hyun So go and you know test some of the bodies but most of them are dead so this is a monster movie a disease movie and it's it chapter three this is like so many genres (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a good value for money when they go down there it's actually pretty scary because basically it has this 
it has this lair and you'll and at first you're like no maybe it's caring for them and it's like no they're all dead and it's and it's just taking them here because this is its like food this is its pantry and it comes back (laughs) one by one and eats them as they go right but but what the young boy survives. So Suju is alive, Hyun So is alive down there, and they're hiding in like a tunnel off the main sort of sewer. The rest are just dead bodies waiting to be eaten by this creature. And that's where she called um, uh, Gangdu from. So so anyway, uh, the family escape and they decide to go into the sewer to find this thing. They eventually encounter the creature uh, and shoot at it until they run out of ammunition. Uh, <laughs> So, so there's, there's this long chase along the water. They have all these guns. And again, I was like, why do they all have guns? But then I remembered also in Korea, they do have national service still. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, number yeah. one, that you know how to use a gun. And number two, there would be guns available. So they attack this creature on like, and they chase it along the, the shores. And it gets to this point where the dad, the older dad has a gun and he's ready to shoot it. And he, there's a moment where he asks the son, he's like, do I have any bullets left? And the son, cause he's a fuck up is like- The klutzy son, yeah. Yeah, the klutzy son's like, yeah, you've got a bullet left. So the dad, so the older dad goes to the shoot granddad, it, yeah. but then it clicks empty, and we cut back to klutzy son counting his fingers, being like, oh no, fuck, I miscounted. Oh, it's so sad then, what happens. <laughs> Why is so it then the, the creature- son's job? Why can't the fucking granddad keep track of the bullets in his own gun? <laughs> no, it's the it's the son. It's the main character's gun, and he hands it over to the granddad. He has it over here to his dad. Granddad, like you, you, you are, you're aware. You have agency. <laughs> you should know what's going on. And but the anyway, so like, the monster. Yeah, I'm counting how many shots you took. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, the monster, the monster grabs the dad, uh, drags him along the ground, and we're like, "Is he dead?" And then there's a shot where the monster just picks him up by his head and slams him onto the ground, and it's like, "Okay, yeah, the dad's dead." Not so sad. Uh, then the it granddad dies. And there's like a super sad moment where basically the whole family's like, now the dad's dead. Why did we come back to rescue your daughter? This is all your fault. And he's just standing by, like, he's just standing by his dad being like, dad, and then being like, Hyun So. And then the authorities come up and put a bag over his head and take him back to a hospital. Now we go back into the hospital where they're interrogating Gangdu and they're basically like, what's going on and there's an american scientist at this point who's helping interrogate him and gangdu's like my daughter's alive she's under this bridge we've got to go help find her blah 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 blah. and the american's like why didn't you tell anybody we should go and help him oh my gosh but then that's a fake out and it turns out the american then turns out to the colleagues and is like see he's totally crazy and clearly the virus has gone to his brain so we're going to have to lobotomize him Gosh, those Americans. Then it turns out, while they're setting him up to be lobotomized, the America's talking, Americans talking to his colleagues being like, there's no virus. It's mm. just a cover like yeah. for, all the, for all the dead people that the monster's killing. He doesn't have a virus. No one has a virus. But they're still lobotomizing him. But the American thinks, because he's speaking English, Gangdu can't understand him. And Gangdu turns to him and he's like, so there's no virus? What are you talking about? And the American's like, fuck, you speak English. But then they continue with the lobotomy and Gangdu gets lobotomized. What? That's very upsetting. It's like, it is easily the most upsetting. You would agree, Lee Chan, that this moment is like quite disturbing. Like, medical horror is profound. Sorry, go LT. Medical horror is the worst genre. 
But also during the movie where there is this, what you think a pandemic um, happening and you see eerily prescient images of people in face masks. And there's even one image of, I think, a guy coughing onto the street and spitting and everyone else is like reeling back because that's so disgusting, especially, you know, with this background of COVID-19, you feel it even more. Um, but you, during the movie, you're like, oh, the movie's called The Host. So you think the host is talking about the virus and who is the host for this virus. And then as the movie continues, you think, oh, what does a host actually refer to? And it's uh, not about the virus. And it's an allegory as, for American occupation. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Even though the movie's called Monster in Korean. So actually, it's just an allegory for a monster that's a monster. Um, okay, 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 okay. So anyway, so anyway, we cut then to Hyun So, who, when thinking the creature's sleeping, takes the clothes off a lot of the corpses, turns it into a bit of a... She, I think she just grabs some sort of a pipe, turns it into a bit of a grappling... Like, she MacGyvers a grappling hook out of the dead possessions of the, uh, of the corpses, throws it up, um, but it turns out, like, and starts climbing. But then there's this awesome moment where she starts climbing and then she stops and then the camera pans down and the creature's tail's wrapped around her and it turns out the creature was just feigning to be asleep to lure mm. them out of hiding. And then the creature swallows her and the younger boy as well and then leaps out. Meanwhile, we cut to what's happening, you know, in Seoul and the government now saying there's a pandemic. They plan to release a chemical agent called Agent Yellow into the river that will kill basically all uh, all organic life for like hundreds of kilometres all around as a way to kill this creature and kill this this disease that doesn't actually exist. So it all sort of, I guess it all ends up in, like with all of these thing, things happening, the monsters swallowed the, the two kids and le- leapt out. They're still to get like, uh, oh, oh, and I, I should say, this isn't in Wikipedia. I'm sorry, Wikipedia is like <laughs> drops the line sometimes. Basically, there's a moment earlier on where the dad's like, he, you know, when he was young, he wasn't quite right in the head and points to the bit where he gets the lobotomy. So when Gungdu wakes up from the lobotomy, weirdly, I don't know if this is how lobotomies work. The lobotomy actually makes him like normal super and smart. super strong again. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up and he beats up all the doctors and he like, you know, takes one hostage and makes his way out. And so now every, all of the family are all, co- all of the family, basically all of Seoul, uh, the American government and this creature are all moving to the Han River now. So they're all mo- get, getting, they're all moving towards the, the end of the film, basically. So what happens is, when it gets to the end of the film, there's this protest there, because nobody wants the American government to release Agent Yellow. But the government releases Agent Yellow anyway. The crowd disperses, but the Gungdu and his family don't disperse, and then they see the monster there. And Gungdu notices that there's an arm hanging out of the mouth of the monster and realizes that it's Hyunso, his daughter, and is like, maybe she's still alive. Maybe I can save her. And then I guess they have this moment where they all use their skills to take down the monster. So first of all, the drunken older brother who was a political activist, they reveal, because he was a political activist, is also really good at making Molotov cocktails. So he's made heaps (laughs) of Molotov cocktails to throw at the at the bad guy. We also know the sister is a archer, so that's going to come into 
a play somehow. Sick. And we also know that Gung Du is really enraged and now is super strong that he's had a lobotomy. And so basically <laughs> they have this moment where they all take down, like one after the other, they do their bit to take it's down really the It's really cool. It is super cool. So first of all, Brother is throwing the Molotov cocktails at the monster to, 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 to put it on its back foot and corner it. And basically he's got one left, the monster's backed in a corner and he's about to throw it and it drops out of his hand and falls on the ground. And then the monster's like, sick, here's my opening. The older brother's like, and you're just like, ah, for fuck's sake. (laughs) And it's like, you're like, okay, well then the brother's dead. But then we notice the sister out of nowhere dips one of her arrows in the fire that the broken one's left on the ground, picks it up, shoots it at the monster, and the monster, in very bad 2006 CGI, erupts into flames. Then the it's mon- such a cool scene, though. It's such <laughs> a cool scene. Even though it's dated, when the sister does it, it's almost like she's picking up a toasted marshmallow uh, with her bow and arrow, except it happens to, like, detonate this crazy explosion. It's the coolest thing. And then the fun, like the, the, the coolest part about this is then the monster's, like, you're right next to the water. Um, even, like, even though I don't know what sort of fire Molotov cocktails create and how that burns and if water affects that, but the monster is then running towards the water and you're like, it's going to escape again. Then from behind a corner, um, Gung Du appears with like a pole, like, like a street sign he's torn from the ground and basically shoves it right into the monster's mouth, stopping the monster. And again, because he's got a lobotomy, he's like super strong. This finally kills the monster. Gungdu then reaches into the monster's mouth, pulls out Hyunso, and it turns out in a really sweet moment, Hyunso is actually holding the young boy really close. So pulls them both out and... If I remember correctly, I think she's dead. Yeah. Right? Like she- but then it turns out she is dead, and I was so upset because I thought she was going to survive because she's so wily. And you're so used to those movies where bloody, you know, like in Rise of Skywalker, you're like, you think they're dead, but no, we won't kill them off because they're a main character. But yeah, I was like truly devastated when she died because I thought she would make it to the end. Yeah, it's, it's like a genuinely lovely moment where it's like she has saved this kid but she's done but then i'm kind of like like they were both in this creature's like stomach she was just like hugging him why is she dead and he's like like what 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 did hugging him in this monster's belly do to but anyway like that's just how it ends we then cut to like you know maybe weeks or months later um, Gung Du now has different hair to show that he's a better person now. He's now adopted the young kid and they both live in the food stall. And then it ends with classic uh, horror movie Deus Ex news report where there's a news report being like, oh, the crazy incidents that happened earlier in the year have all been deemed crazy by the government and we're all moving on. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the kid's basically like, Dad, change the channel. And yeah. that's kind of like the end. And it ends with them eating all this delicious food yeah it ends with them eating delicious food when the monsters died like is it is there an element of like oh, hopefully that'll be enough tentacles for you like <laughs> nyuk, 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 nyuk. <laughs> but i do feel like the moral of this film is um, our director being like, guys, lobotomies. Well, I think we need to have a second think about it. You know? like, <laughs> I think we need to all have a think about whether lobotomy is the way to go. Because, you know, maybe. <laughs> um, well, look, that was the host. Peach, what did you think? 
I actually thought it was pretty fun. It's like six genre movies in one. And I say six in a lighthearted, exaggerated way. But if we just try to dive into it, uh, pandemic-y disease film, yep. monster film, yep. it's tribute, yep. action movie. Uh, Mike Lee style, you know, the working class are like downtrodden and society doesn't let them succeed in any way. Uh, the goof coming good, like I like I presume there are like the genre of being a bit of a fuck up and then having an important event happening and being like right, I got to fix my life up. Um, look, I feel like I watched yeah seven, six or seven movies in one, <laughs> and as I was saying to you earlier, Shag, like I, and and LT, I'd be interested in your views on this. I feel like contemporary culture isn't consuming work; it's consuming work about the work. And so I feel like in this podcast, by digesting the way this film happened, I've now consumed, you know, six or seven different films. Like we're into derivative culture is the way I'm going to go and describe it. And, and I'm all about it, especially in relation to the host. Yeah, that's, that's great. I still think you should maybe consider watching this because it yeah, isn't too creepy. Besides the odd blood splatter scene and the, yeah. Yeah. When the kids kind of get eaten, just, but eh. Pete, just watch it in like double time, like you do your books. <laughs> It'll be done in forty-five minutes. What's up? Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? And you missed um, Peach. That is also a film about weapons of mass destruction. Because the Agent Yellow. I'm going to add this in.